Welcome to the Somme Vigil podcast series, which tells the story of the Battle of the Somme in the words of those who were there. I'm Simon Bendry, Director for UCL Institute of Education's First World War Centenary Battlefield Tours programme. This series was commissioned by the Department for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport and developed in partnership with the First World War Centenary Battlefield Tours programme and Chrome Radio. It was first released to accompany the Somme 100 Vigil at Westminster Abbey, held through the night of the 30th of June and into the morning of the 1st of July 2016, to mark the centenary of the Battle of the Somme. We now hear from Dick Robinson, great-nephew of Sister Edie Appleton, who, in the last podcast, described hospital life in the days before and after the first day of the Battle of the Somme. My name is Dick Robinson, and I am the great-nephew of Sister Edith Appleton, we knew her as Edie, who served as a nurse right throughout the First World War in France for five years. Edie was born in Deal in Kent in 1877, one of a very large family, typical Victorian family, 13 of them, I think, altogether. And her father was a Trinity pilot, quite a sort of elite group of ship's pilots. And his job particularly was guiding ships past the Goodwin Sands, uh, very treacherous, lots of wrecks on there off the Kent coast. He died, sadly, in his late 60s, climbing the side of a ship to guide it past the Goodwin Sands. And he fell into the sea and I think died within an hour or so. They got him back into the lighter, but he died. That was in 1897, so Edie would have been 20. Three years later, she started training as a nurse at St. Bartholomew's Hospital, Barts, in London in 1900. And then she went on, I think, to do some private nursing and then later became a health visitor and a district nurse. And with World War I looming, she joined the, I'll spell it all out, Queen Alexandra's Imperial Military Nursing Service Reserve. I'll call them the QAs for short. And she was in France by October 1914, so just two months after the beginning of the war on the 4th of August. Edie was awarded the Royal Red Cross First Class, which is a much-prized medal awarded to nurses either for one outstanding act of bravery or for dedication over a long period. And she was also awarded the military OBE. Today is the centenary of the eve of the Battle of the Somme, and this evening we're going to the service in Westminster Abbey, And later, we will be going to watch the vigil, during which some extracts from the diaries of my great-aunt Edie will be read. I have four volumes of Edie's diaries. Sadly, there are some gaps, but there's some wonderful, amazing material in there. When Edie died in 1958, my mum and her sister cleared her house, and my mum took possession of these four volumes and put them in a drawer where they stayed for the next 40 years. And when my mother died in 1997, I inherited them and I put them back in another drawer. I was having a conversation in the village where we live with a friend and we were talking about the First World War and I said, I've got these diaries. And she asked to borrow them and I didn't hear anything for a bit. And then I had a very excited phone call. These diaries are amazing. You have to get them published. I have the 
one of the volumes of the diaries in front of me. It's clearly a rather old, well, a hundred-year-old exercise book. And if you open it inside, it's French, so she must have bought it in the village where she was working out there. And there's a little picture in the front of Chemin de Fer, the railway system of France. And interestingly, she's put a little dedication at the front in French, which says, Pour ma mère, avec mes amitiés sincères. For my mother, with best wishes and then her rather formal name. And it's all handwritten. And this volume begins in May 1916. It's full of every day she wrote of her experiences of that day. And the extraordinary thing about it is that it's a mixture of the horrors that she was dealing with, hundreds of men dying in her care, and some getting better, obviously, but also going sketching, going for walks, picking flowers, swimming in the sea, all those things which I think kept her sane. I'm looking here at a page, this is a typical page from the diary. Uh, there's two thirds of it is, is her handwriting in script with a fountain pen, I guess. And in the middle of the page, there is one of her sketches and it's of the view of the Mont d'Aval on the beach at Etretat, where she was at this time. And this is a very interesting one because it's the 18th of June, 1916. So still two weeks before the Battle of the Somme. But obviously she knows it's coming. And I'm just going to read from the 18th of June. She writes, The air is vibrant with the awe and excitement of the great advance. The well men are being hurried back to duty and others sent to England. So that all along the lines... The hospitals, from base generals to clearing stations, are prepared and standing by to receive any number of the poor fellows who must inevitably, it seems to us, suffer. Just flicking on a few pages, so they're still waiting for the big advance to happen, and here's a, a page with a delightful, typical little sketch. There's a stick figure diving into the sea and she's written in pencil above it here i go you see and interestingly this and the other sketches was picked up by the poet simon armitage who did a beautiful program a couple of years ago on bbc2 television where he chose seven artifacts from the first world war and one of those was a pile of edie's diaries and he wrote a beautiful poem called sea sketch and one of the lines is something about stick figures plunging into the sea. And obviously this is the one that inspired that. Moving on, obviously the battle began on the 1st of July, but if we go to a few pages further on to the 4th of July, it's really started to happen for Edie, who of course was on the coast, so some way from the front line, but a, a very good uh, rail connection. And I'll read the 4th of July. Wounded hundreds upon hundreds, on stretchers, being carried, walking, covered from head to foot in well-caked mud. The rush and buzz of ambulances and motor buses is the only thing I can remember of yesterday outside my wards. Inside, it took us longer than the day to anything like cope with the work of changing, feeding, and dressing the wounds of our share of them. They had horribly bad wounds, some crawling with maggots, some stinking and tense with gangrene. One poor lad had both eyes shot through 
and there they were, lying smashed and all mixed up with the eyelashes. He was quite calm and very tired. He said, shall I need an operation? I can't see anything. Poor boy, he never will. And then reading on a couple of days later, July the 6th, she writes, I give up description. In ordinary times, we get a telegram from Abbeville saying a train with so many on board is coming. Then they stopped giving numbers, just said, full train. Now, not even a telegram comes, but the full trains do. I have 41 German prisoners amongst my lot. The surgeons amputating limbs and boring through skulls at the rate of 30 a day, and not a day passes without death taking his toll. Then three days later, July the 9th, yesterday was a big scramble. 600 were evacuated from all parts of the hospital, chiefly to England. You have no idea, mother dear, what it is like for me to be the person to answer everyone's inquiries all dressings to be done, all patients to be fed, and all got ready to go off on a stretcher. The next one, the last one I've got here at the moment, uh, but although this goes on, of course, through the next months, right until November, July the 13th. Yesterday, a very busy day. Convoy in first thing, sent one out in the afternoon to be ready for the next rush. We had 5,000 men through this hospital last week. And so it goes on through August, September, October, November. One million casualties on all sides, of which more than 300,000 killed or missing. And day after day, Edie's diary records terrible descriptions of her wounded and dying patients, as we've heard. Last year, I was contacted by the historian Hugh Seabag Montefiore, whose new book, Somme, Into the Breach, is just out. And I quote, there is no nurse's account better than Edith Appleton's for the British sector during the Somme. You have been listening to The Story of the Somme, a Chrome Radio production for the Department for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport, in partnership with UCL Institute of Education's First World War Centenary Battlefield Tours programme. The producer was Katrina Oliphant. In the next podcast, an officer in the Royal Field Artillery writes home to his mother.